The contents discussed on this show are the opinions of only the speakers and do not reflect the official views of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or Air Force ROTC. This is the Screaming Blackbird Podcast, episode number 04. I am your host, Cadet Matt Redboard, and today I am joined by my cadet host, Logan Jolliker. How you doing, Jolly? Outstanding. Oh, love to hear it. <laughs> so, Cadet Jolliker, you are aspiring to go into the career field 17D, that is cyberspace operations, is that correct? Yes, and also 17C, or correction, 17 Sierra. So 17 Delta is a cyberspace officer that deals with setting up and maintaining computer systems and infrastructure. Whereas on a 17 Sierra, they're more focused on offensively and defensively protecting our national cyberspace from threats within and without. Awesome. So do you know what shred out you're sort of leaning towards? That's a very good question. I have no clue, but I'm leaning more towards possibly being a 17 Sierra in the United States Space Force. United States Space Force. Mm -hmm. So how come you are thinking Space Force versus the Air Force? I've always loved computers. I've enjoyed programming and computers is the reason why I got into computer science in the first place. The United States Space Force is trying to become the first digitally interconnected, innovative digital service. They're trying to take where we have not been able to go, and they're trying to meet that or go past that using technology to beat our adversaries and to protect our borders. All right. (laughs) And the reason why I asked you to come on this show with your aspirations and knowledge Mm -hmm. in computer science and cyberspace is because we interviewed our detachment recruiting and retention services officer, Captain Adams, and he is the AFSC 17D, Mm -hmm. which is a cyberspace officer. And he broke down the career field, his career story. He offered some leadership lessons and philosophy along the way and we took a lot out of the episode and you'll get to hear about that from captain adams so we'll let you hear the interview all right here we go what is a cyberspace operations officer good afternoon cadet jolliker cadet redboard so i am a cyberspace operations officer obviously it's not my primary job right now it is my primary afsc which is like your air force specified job It is a lot of things in the Air Force. There's actually four different shreds of cyberspace officer. And there's cyberspace, like the typical person would probably think of it as, like the super hacker person, like you watch the Matrix and things are coming down across your face and people are hacking the networks. And then there's the combat communication side of cyber, where people are going places, doing things, supporting the warfighting mission. And then the probably least glamorous part of Cyber is the traditional base communications part of cyber. And I I say this as affectionately as I can, but it's like the Air Force's version of Geek Squad or like Spectrum Internet or something. And there's good things and bad things about that, and and we can get into that a little bit later. So tell us about what makes a good cyberspace operations officer in terms of all the career fields combined, I guess. So I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit on what I was saying earlier. First and foremost, a cyberspace operations officer is an officer, just like any other, hopefully, leader in the Air Force or leader in general. Hopefully, you all are going through RTC right now. I went through RTC or whatever your commissioning source is, your leadership training, and you'll graduate and you'll commission as a leader in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that you need to be able to do, regardless of its 
in the comm or cyberspace career field or in the flying career field, be able to think on your feet and solve problems, to critically think, to make decisions when you need to, to look at a room of 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 people and be able to tell them confidently, this is my direction, this is where I'm taking y'all, and this is where we, we need to go. And know when the right time is for them to look at you and say that, hey, LT or hey, Cap, that's a bad idea and we shouldn't do that. And maybe you turn around and go the other direction, but to be confident and poised in your decision making. Can you talk to us about your background story, your career story, assignments, locations, your deployments? So I'll, I guess I'll do the standard thing and, and walk through my career. So I graduated from Texas Christian University in 2015 as a computer science major. I didn't go to TCO intending to graduate as a computer science major. Mm -hmm. Uh, I went there intending to graduate as a mechanical engineer. Mm. And due to circumstances and RTC scholarship things, I had to switch my major to computer science. So I stumbled through computer science for about four years, made things a little bit more difficult for myself than I needed to. But eventually I graduated, I earned my commission, got through RTC and went to school or went to tech school at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi. Keesler Air Force Base is home to tech school for not just communications officers, 17 Delta and 17 Sierra, but also the personnel career field. I think a couple of other career fields and a whole wide range of enlisted career fields as well. It's actually an interesting environment. The enlisted airmen, they keep them in dorms in a place called the Triangle. And you pretty much never see the enlisted airmen there. And like they're scared of the officers. And as a brand new lieutenant, you're scared of the airmen, even though you shouldn't be. And it's just a very interesting dynamic. I look back on it now pretty fondly because it was like college number two. And we were just in here earlier talking about like how your work-life balances between stress in school and stress in ROTC. And it was, I was like that as well. I was stressed about ROTC and stressed about school. And when I went to tech school, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. I was getting paid to do what I was doing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't juggling two things. My only job was to walk into class, do my cyber training from seven o'clock in the morning to five o'clock at night, whether it be like typing on a keyboard or like building a network router or giving presentations or whatever it may be. But I just have one task for the day and then I'd leave. And you're surrounded by 20, 30 other 20 something year old mm -hmm. lieutenants. So you could imagine what goes on with a bunch of 20 something years old getting paid for the first time, getting paid pretty decently in the Gulf with New Orleans an hour away. Mm. But I graduated from UCT at Keesler, which is great. And got my first assignment at Edwards Air Force Base in California. Mm -hmm. I graduated as a 17 Delta, not a 17 Sierra. The difference between the two is the Sierra shred is more of the cyber hacking, offensive cyber, defensive cyber, mm -hmm. uh, things like that. And the Delta is more of the typical base comm or combat communications, like mm -hmm. traditional radios, switches, servers, computers, stuff like that. And maintaining that for either a base in the base comm situation or for an operational unit or a special tactics unit in the combat comm side of things. At Edwards Air Force Base, I did base communication, and it was three years of working for the ops group, I think is the best way that I can put it. It's a very, like, I don't want to say it's a thankless job, mm -hmm. um, but it's a very, like, this is broken, come fix it now. It's probably the comm person's fault, right? When normally it's like, hey, Mr. Pilot, can you please, like, turn your computer off and on again before I drive across base and fix something for you? But... It was my first chance at leadership in the Air Force, right? It was the first time I walked straight into the squadron and I had a flight of, I think, 20, uh, ranging between A1C, so Airman First Class, and 
I think the most senior person I had in my shop was a mess sergeant at the time. Mm-hmm. And all wide ranging of backgrounds in life, experiences, maturity levels, things like that. And here I was a 22-year-old second lieutenant pretending that I know more about life than some of these people and hoping that I can give them advice and point them in the right direction. And the phrase like fake it till you make it comes into mind because mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of that. And luckily, a lot of it worked out, I think, in my and in our favor. But I will say that my communications tech school at Keesler didn't really prepare me for the leadership challenges mm. that I was going to face when I got to Edwards Air Force Base. Mm-hmm. We did do a little bit of cool stuff. I got to do some cyber stuff while I was there, not just traditional comm. The Air Force is going in a way to operationalize communications personnel in the Air Force, whether they be airmen or officers, and move the like cyber protection job into the base instead of having it contracted out to wherever it may be or having a host wing, say, in San Antonio, do cyber protection for every base. Mm-hmm. They're trying to make it more like the... Edwards Air Force Base would be responsible for the cyber assurity of the mission that happens at Edwards Air Force Base. Mm -hmm. And my lieutenant project when I got to Edwards Air Force Base was like, hey, Lieutenant Adams, um, you're going to figure out all of the cyber things on Edwards Air Force Base and figure out where they touch the network and all this 50, 60, 70 year old engineering equipment that's been ghetto rigged to plug into the network and hasn't really been secured in any way, shape or form, Mm. uh, figure out how to protect it. Right. And they said, go do. And me as Lieutenant Adams had to go out and you could imagine what an F 22 squadron commander tells you when you're a 21 year old, 22 year old, and you walk into his building, you're like, Hey, sir, I need to look at your cool F 22 and see where the Chinese might be or where the Russians might be and potentially break your mission. What was it like, like that kind of pressure? Uh, at first, it was a lot of like just being scared to ask the question, being scared that I get shut down mm-hmm. and not knowing the right question to ask. Right. And that was my first kind of exercise in expectation management with my comm squadron commander, with my MSG commander and with my wing commander, because there were a few times as a second lieutenant, I was briefing our one-star wing commander at Edwards Air Force Base, which is pretty cool. And me as a second lieutenant getting the task and thinking I had to go to the moon with it and take it all the way to the hoop when really what I should have been doing was getting the ball rolling, figuring out how to establish this cyber protection function at Edwards Air Force Base and get that up and running and then kind of work out from there instead of trying to draw the scope as large as I could and get as much as I could and whittle it back. The saying is, like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? And I tried to shove the whole elephant in my mouth when I first got that project. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was because I was, like, super eager, super brand new to the Air Force, and, like, I just wanted to get the job done. But a lot, like, there's a time and place for that, and sometimes it does work. In that case, it, it didn't really blow up in my face. It didn't go horribly wrong. It was just a learning experience for me, and it the whole project didn't go as efficiently as it could have. But I made, I mean, I got to sit in an F-22 and not many people have gotten to do that and F-35, which is cool. Um, And I made relationships across the base with like international pilots and obviously like test pilots who have been career Air Force pilots and super smart people, super awesome people and get to like peer into that life and kind of see how the operational Air Force works and or at least how the test side of the Air Force worked at Edwards Air Force Base and how the communication side of things really integrates with that and supported it, which is pretty neat. So I spent 
I don't know, probably a year, year and a half doing that function. I got sent to like training Colorado Springs where I got to wear civilian clothes for a month and stay in a fancy hotel and learn how to hack and do things and then bring it back. And again, like you're super like rearing to go and then you show up and you don't have the equipment that you need or the money that you need or like the buy-in from other commanders. So like you kind of take a step back. But I learned a lot of stuff, learned how to set realistic expectations and goals and, and work towards those and prepare myself for what's immediately in front of me instead of thinking of the end goal immediately and trying to hit that as soon as I could, I guess, was something that I learned while I was at Edwards Air Force Base. But that was kind of the extent of my cyber cyber stuff that I did at Edwards Air Force right. Base. And I kind of went back into ba- like traditional base comm after that. Our director of operations in the comm squadron ended up moving on from the position that he was in. Uh, so it pulled over someone from the operations flight in the comm squadron, which was a 200-person squadron, 200-ish between civilians and airmen. And my commander at the time, she had a lot more faith in me than I did, I guess, said, hey, LT, here's the reins of this flight. Figure it out. You're responsible for the network of all of Edwards Air Force Base working now. So I got thrown into that. And I want to say that I can attribute a lot of the leader that I am today to the six or seven months that I spent in that job and how quickly I had to learn with that. Before in ROTC and in tech school, I was kind of taught to be a technical expert and taught to know the answer. And if you don't know the answer, you're wrong. And I kind of jumped into my first role at Edwards Air Force Base and the cyber role at Edwards Air Force Base and even started this job with the thought that I have to know the answer. If I don't know the answer, then I failed. But I quickly realized that the people around you are the people who know the answer. And the people around you are the people who have been doing the job for Mm -hmm. years or months or decades or however long it might be. And you have to trust them. You have to empower them, just like my commander empowered me to take over that flight. And you got to let them work. You got to figure out you're the fresh set of eyes when you show up. You will be no matter what organization you show up in as a lieutenant. And you're going to see some things that are working awesome. And you're going to see some things that are working not so hot. And your immediate thought is going to be, how do I, what do I need to change to fix those things that aren't working great? You know, right. but they might have been working that way for a reason or those constraints might be there for a reason. So the hardest thing to do is to walk into a new organization and just watch it and sit and let it operate the way it's been operating. But there's the OODA loop, right? The first part of the OODA loop is observe, Mm -hmm. and it's there for a reason. You walk in and you observe, whether it be for a day or a month, and get your bearings and kind of figure out how stuff is going on. And then you make better what you can make better. And if there's things that you think you're going to screw up, you just don't touch it, right? Right. Uh, Let the people keep doing their job and make the job easier for people where you can. Can you give an example where you wanted to change something, but then you decided to take a step back during that post, I guess? I can give you an example where I didn't wait and I made a change and then right. I had to backpedal because I, I screwed it oh. up. There had been, like I said, I wasn't always in that flight. I used to be in the other side of the comm squadron and I saw how things worked over there. And I always wondered, like, why does why does Mr. Lukey do things these ways? Right. Like, why does he run his flight that way? It, it's not the best way. And uh, I showed up. And I moved where one office operated uh, that was kind of like a satellite office, not connected to the rest of the comm campus. And I like uprooted their lives and moved them to be with the rest of the comm campus. So like I could talk to them because that's what I like to do. I like to see people and talk to them Mm -hmm. instead of like sending emails or calling or doing whatever. So I moved them over and there was like immediate relationship tensions 
between the different shops in the flight. People weren't getting along. Work wasn't getting done like it was getting done before. It was more convenient for me because all I had to do was like get up and walk across the hallway to go talk to people, you mm-hmm. know? Right. But the shop, the flight had become, I can't quantify like how much less productive, but it was less productive than it was before. And I kind of had to like put my foot in my mouth and go talk to my commander and be like, hey, ma'am, I screwed up. What do I do? And she was like, well, you just own your mistake and put it back the way it was, right? And that's what I did. I had to like put my foot in my mouth and sit down in a staff meeting with my flight one day and say like, hey, everybody, like it's not so-and-so's fault that you're not getting along with her or his fault that you're not getting along with him, right? It's the ambitious LT that thought he could make the world better and change things. And he moved people different places thinking he would make it better. And I didn't make it better. So we put stuff back and it got better after that. But that's just a personnel issue. I'm sure there's instances where I've done that, like with technical things in the past as well. But I've been out of the technical side of comm for, geez, like three or four years now. So I try to like block that from my memory and, <laughs> and, and focus on big airport stuff. Right. But yeah, that was that was a lot of my time spent at Edwards Air, or most of my time spent at Edwards Air Force Base. Uh, I also had a unique instance where my comm squadron commander got pulled to be the MSG deputy because the MSG deputy left. And we didn't have a comm squadron commander for about a couple weeks. And they pulled in a C-17 test pilot from the operations group. He was the operations group deputy and pulled him in to be the comm squadron commander. And it was really weird for all of us in the comm squadron. And we we weren't sure what to expect. And we we're like, oh, man, this pilot's going to take the comm squadron and fly it straight into the ground. But he, he came in and to our surprise and to our relief, he did an awesome job. It's where I learned what I just talked about. Uh, He came in as a fresh set of eyes, picked out what he could make better, and didn't mess with stuff that he knew would screw up. He improved our relationship with ops group, obviously, because he was a pilot, and he still went and flew and did stuff like that. A lot of the processes that pilots use day-to-day that we don't typically use in the support group and things like that, like after-action ports, debriefing, just candid feedback with people instead of like beating around the bush and being scared to hurt people's feelings. I learned a lot of that from him. And like none of us really thought that the comm squadron would be left in a better place after he left the comm squadron. But when our new commander came in and and she took the reins and he was out, it was in a significantly better place than it was prior to when he got there, which is pretty cool. So going off of that, would you say that he had the biggest impact on your career or maybe with somebody else, a mentor, instructor, or classmate, and why? As far as like a single person who's made an impact in my career, probably him. Uh, his name's he's probably a colonel by now, Mike Howard. When I, when I grew up, I always, want, I always wanted to be a pilot. And so I was getting to a point at Edwards Air Force Base. I was like jaded as a one and a half year lieutenant, which is pretty bad. I was driving to work every day. And driving across the lake bed that I watched in movies, like wanting to be a test pilot, driving past the ramp and seeing every single plane in the Air Force inventory. And then I was walking to the comm squadron and like getting beat up by the ops group. And I'm like, why doesn't my email work today? And uh, this pilot walks in as a commander of the comm squadron. And I was like, ah, what's this jerk going to do now? You know, like, what's he going to do that could possibly make my life better? And I spent a lot of time like sitting down doing like mentor mentee stuff with him whether it be like going to grab lunch or just if he was in the office at the end of the day at like five or six o'clock if I'd been there a long time or he'd been there a long time and things where I would expect 
Like I had all these like preconceived notions of like, oh, he's an ops group guy. He's just going to leave and say, I got to go be in the sim, you know, or something like that. Or I got to go fly. But he always put the people first and the squadron first. And he tried to really internalize the mission of the comm squadron. He knew after being in that seat, he understood how the comm squadron impacted the flying mission at Edwards Air Force Base and how the relationship of the comm squadron and the MSG with the operations group impacted how well flying and sorties and things like that got done. Mm-hmm. And it really, I don't want to say it like gave me my purpose in the Air Force or anything because I kind of think that's corny and I think I already had my purpose in my own drive, but it kind of connected the dots for me. It made me go from like, I am here as a comm officer and I'm mad that I'm not a pilot to I am here a leader of people and my job is to make people happy and make the mission go. And that's kind of when it clicked and when it changed to me. And I think not just officers in like the mission support group you'll see who are like that, that are good officers, but also when you see good operations officers and good pilots and stuff like that, um, they care not just about themselves, but they care about the people and they care about the mission and they have a really good balance. So I guess that's kind of when I got my head screwed on straight. Mm-hmm. So Cadet Jolliker and I were literally just talking before we before we got here about like how do you find a purpose if you don't have it in the military or in the Air Force? Like for younger cadets just joining the program, finding their why. What was it that actually like made it click and like what was that connection that was made there? Um that's a tough one. Like everyone's is different. Definitely. Right? Like I said, I grew up ever since I was like five years old wanting to be a test pilot. And I joined ROTC and I was a cadet that was like, I don't care about people. I don't care about leading. Drill is dumb. Like I'm good at <laughs> I'm good at marching. Like, why do I need to sit here and like help other people practice when I can right. left face and call them right and mm-hmm. do whatever I need to do, right? Like I only need to spend an hour a week on ROTC to be good at it. I don't need to carry other people along. That sounds that seems um, to be the mentality of a lot of the GMC, or at least the one hundreds I'm leading right now. But well, well, that's because it's them. so early on in their leadership journey as well. Right. Is they're just learning to, and I think this is kind of connects to like big Air Force stuff. Like when you first join the program, you are kind of supposed to be a sort of technical expert, like be good at drill, you know, be good at your expertise. Kind of the same thing about being a company grade officer. Is that right, sir? Yeah. And then you move in as you progress through the ROTC program, you progress your leadership as well. Yeah. So I did, I did this kind of like inverted bell curve right where i started rotc and we would get feedback from our cadre just like you get feedback from us like my first feedback that i walked into my deck commander was like you're in the top third you're great and i'm like cool straight to my ego right like (laughs) 18 year old kid like i'm gonna go be a fighter pilot uh and then like i went through the typical like dodmer junk that everyone goes Mm. through where you're like oh i might get kicked out of rotc and then i change majors and i'm like oh i suck at school you know the stress comes in yeah the stress comes in and uh i was like i was still really good at being a cadet like Mm -hmm. i was still really good at telling people how to march and i was really good at marching and really good at folding pt shorts and making my bed and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so i could do that and i was like a top third cadet up until I went to like FTP semester Mm -hmm. uh, or up until I went to field training. And then I was selfish, right? I was focused on myself and I wasn't focused on anyone else. And like my commander's ranking as I went into field training kind of tapered off. Like I was on scholarship, so I still got an EA and like EAs were like super plentiful when I went through ROTC. So like my entire class got picked up 
which isn't always the case, as y'all know. Mm -hmm. And I came back and I was like super worried about school and like not doing so well. And I was super focused on myself. And I I don't want to say like I was one of the jerk POC that like just yells at people for the sake of yelling at people and like follows you around like the SpongeBob meme, um, <laughs> or the uh, the Squid Games meme, or the Squid Games meme, right? Oh, gosh. <laughs> but I was just disconnected from ROTC, right? I was like my priorities are where my priorities are. Like ROTC will be there later. Like I'm good enough at it. And mm. I was getting feedback. I had like a come to Jesus from one of my cadre that said like, Hey Jeff, if uh, you don't start investing in the cadet wing and investing in some other people. Like you're not going to commission. And I was like, Oh man, I better start doing something. And uh, what I realized is that like, wasn't really that much more effort for me to like care about people and care about making people better. Right. And that's like when it, the first time that it kind of like smacked me across the face when I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, like other people exist on this earth besides me, you know, And then when I went to Edwards Air Force Base and got there initially, I kind of went through the same pendulum of like, woe is me. Like, I am mad that I'm base comm in a desert in the middle of nowhere. And I wasn't seeing the greater mission of everything that was going on. Like, there were planes screwing by every day at like a thousand miles an hour. And I was like too pissed off at my situation to realize like how cool some of the stuff going around Mm -hmm. was. And some of the opportunities that I was being given by my leadership and stuff like that. So like I was, like I said, I was going to training in places like Colorado Springs and I was going to Texas and Florida and Oklahoma and working with test pilots from all over the world, from Australia and New Zealand and stuff like that and making these relationships that other people don't have the opportunity to do. And it was all just blowing past me and I wasn't appreciating it for what it was. And it wasn't until I had a pilot as a squadron commander and I was like, oh man, like he's just a normal person too Mm -hmm. that cares about people that I started to think it was fun. It's fun to take someone who's not good at something and get them good at something or take someone who doesn't have the resources to do what they need to do or their boss or their boss's boss doesn't understand what they need to get the job done and open those doors for them uh, and make things possible uh, and make things happen. Take a problem from instead of just saying no to a problem, finding a way to yes. That's one of the things that, Colonel Howard, when he came to the comm squadron, did that was different than how we had operated in the past, right? Before, it was always like, let's look in the rule book on why we don't do this. Why can't the comm squadron support whatever the flying wing is doing? And when he came in, it's like, why can't we support it? You know, find a way to get to yes so we can enable these people to do the thing they want to do. And for me, it was not always finding a way to yes for the operations group, but finding a way to yes for the airmen who worked for me, right? And like I said, opening those doors and giving them the tools that they need. And that's, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say I woke up one day and the switch flipped, uh, but over the course of probably six or seven months, I just got in the habit of enjoying to work with people and enjoying making things happen. That's when that happened. (laughs) It just all started to connect. Yeah. So how can we progress better feedback is that something that should happen at lead lab or shouldn't happen at class during classes it should happen all the time right right and you hit the nail on the head don't beat around the bush Mm -hmm. some of y'all and i say y'all as an entire cadet wing not just poc or gmc are already good at that and some of you are not good at it i have as the msg commander and like he's like my mentee 
for the semester. And I just had the conversation with him today after we had wing staff meeting that it just seems like cadets in general, like y'all are afraid to get to the point. Like you will spin your tires and you'll beat around the bush in an attempt to like soften the point that you're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. I do that. So when really I'm asking. like you're, you're going to get there anyways and you're going right. to deliver the news. The person's going to hear it. You don't need to throw a couple softballs before you get there. Right. Just, mm-hmm. just do it. If you're talking to someone, they probably know what you're talking to them for. Mm-hmm. Right. Just do it. Just be candid and, and swallow it. And that's another lesson that I learned while I was at Edwards. Cause I used to be really bad at it too. And I, I'm still working on, it. I still kind of beat around the bush. But I used to do it for the stupidest things. Like my flight wanted to have a civilian clothes day. And they were like, the booster club wants to charge people $5 to wear civilian clothes and we'll raise money. It'll be a thing. And I went and talked to my squadron commander. And I'm like, hey, ma'am, uh, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And like talked around the bush for like two or three minutes. And she was like, Jeff, just spit it out. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I'm like, they want to wear civilian clothes tomorrow. And they pay money and wear that. And she's like, why didn't you just say that five minutes ago? <laughs> what was the verdict, sir? They could wear civilian. Like, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> and even if the answer was no, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, right? Um, well, were you being around the bush because you were not as comfortable with her as maybe your, your fellow second lieutenant? <sighs> yeah. I mean, there was a bit of me being precautious. Like, mm-hmm. you're an 05 and I'm an 01, and I'm brand new to the Air Force, and I don't know how this relationship works. There was also, like, the fear of being told no. Right. But it doesn't matter. Like, I don't need to waste a lieutenant colonel's time by saying, oh, yeah, like, the puzzle on your desk looks like it has two more pieces in it than it did yesterday, (laughs) right? Just get to the point. And also, how do you give feedback to people who are um, higher ranked than you? Like, if you're an 01 and you notice that a captain or major is doing something that doesn't agree with your flight, how do you approach that? It depends on the person, Oh, right? If it's a mean 04 or 05 mm-hmm. I w- and they're doing something wrong, I wouldn't walk in there <laughs> like you own the place and say like, hey, sir, you're driving this squadron straight into the ground, you know? Right. But if you have a relationship with the person, like maybe that is something you can do. You can sit down with them and give them that candid feedback. I don't know. It's always best. Mm-hmm to have a relationship with someone first before you give them that feedback, right? So they know that when Logan Jolliker or Matt Redboard is giving them feedback, it's not you as a person taking a dig on them. It's you in your position giving them quality feedback and trying to make them better at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always need to be personal. I think that's something that at least I struggled with when I was a cadet. I'm sure y'all struggle with it right now as cadets. Like your fellow peers around you are friends and you spend time with them and you go do stuff with them hopefully right. whether it be in an AAR after lead lab or like a hot wash or something like that or after PT you don't want to just call someone out because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings right but establishing those rules early and being like hey when we walk through these doors and we're talking about how we did the job our objective is not to make people feel good it's not to make people feel bad Right. But our objective is to make the training better for the GMC. And the objective is to make ourselves better and to identify where we made mistakes and not to make those again. That's a bit harder to do when you're working up the chain of command. But people in general, senior officers in general, are usually nicer than you think they are. Right. So, again, I'm not saying like walk into the (laughs) office and drop a bomb on them and say they've been doing stuff (laughs) wrong since they walked through the door. But you can usually give feedback. Okay. Say like, hey, sir. 
I saw you made this change a couple of weeks ago. This is how it's affecting my airmen. Right. If this is how you want the flight to go and how you want operations to go, then so be it. We'll let it ride. No, but like I have some input. I think potentially this is a way that could make it a little bit better and just go from there. So another thing I want to build off of is as, I guess as a cyber officer, are you more of a people person or are you able to get in the weeds and do the coding and build the networks and do that type of cyberspace or is it half and half or is it more just personnel? As a communications officer, as a cyberspace operations officer on the 17 Delta side of things, mm-hmm. I cannot tell you the last time I looked at a piece of code or like worked on a piece of hardware. Really? I think one of the questions that you put on your question list before was what was the most important thing you learned in tech school or mm-hmm. like what was right. the technical thing that you learned and can you go into depth in that? Right. And I had an answer lined up for it actually. Um, when I was in tech school, I remember still, this was Jeff focused on himself, want to be the best person. We had this lab. It was like program a network switch, which is, if you don't know what a network switch is, it's the thing that makes your internet work and it takes all the routes of where the internet goes from wherever it comes from mm-hmm. and spits it out in your house and make sure that only the good stuff comes through and the bad stuff doesn't. And the lab was take a switch that's completely blank and make it work. And I could do that with my, like, at the time, I could do it with my eyes closed, and I'm, like, jamming this thing out in, like, five minutes, and it's taking the rest of the class, like, an hour, right? And I'm, like, I am the most technical person in the world. I am a god. Uh, and then, like, I have literally not touched anything like that. I could not give you an example of a more useless thing that I learned in tech school <laughs> uh, than that. That's not to say that the 17 Sierra officers who get the fundamentals when they go through UCT, undergraduate cyber training, they learn how to use tools But more importantly, I think they teach you a way of thinking at undergraduate cyber training at tech school. I'd kind of known about the OODA loop from ROTC and going to field training and stuff like that, but I'd never used it in practice. Um, And the OODA loop is important, not just in flying, not just in leading. It's also important in like hacking people and doing stuff like that. So that's probably the most useful tool that I got out of undergraduate cyber training and understanding that I could apply that not just to cyber things, but just everyday work, right? They teach you or they taught us in undergraduate cyber training. Imagine your goal is to get through five doors, right? To hack your way through five doors. Mm -hmm. And every time you get through a door, you have to run through a maze to get your way to the next door. And every time you get through the door, you go through the OODA loop all over again, right? You get Mm -hmm. through the door, you're in a new space that you haven't seen before and you have to observe, orient, side, act, and do all that stuff, right? And if you skip any one of those steps, you'll get stuck there. And I did it. Like, I thought I was a G. Like, here I am, computer science degree, rolling through UCT, thinking I'm the greatest thing in the world. And, like, I got through a door and I forgot to look where I was. And I sat there, like, spinning my wheels for, like, two hours during a lab while, like, other people were, like, math majors and communications majors were like finishing the lab and I'm like what am I doing wrong and finally like someone walked up behind me and they were like did you look where you were at and I was like no why would I do that they're like <laughs> look around and I'm like I run a command and I'm like oh and then I was done in like five minutes right so that's the skill set that I learned in undergraduate cyber training that like I continue to carry throughout the rest of my career mm-hmm. But that's a 17 Delta. Can it's you, a 17 can you talk about 17 Sierras and what do they do more in depth from what you know? I can talk a little bit about it. So in the 17 Sierra career field, there's Bravo and Alpha, Alpha and Bravo. Alpha is the network offense. 
and Bravo is the network defense side of the shop, right? So offense is hacking people. Defense is making sure people don't hack you. And typically when you go through tech school and you come out on your class rankings, like one through 20, mm-hmm. say, if you get a good enough grade in UCT, they offer you the chance to go be a 17 Sierra and you could take it or you can go be a Delta. And if you score really high enough, you can go be a Sierra Alpha and go hack people. And then there's three major functions on the cyber side of the Air Force, right? There's a function that procures and develops software Mm -hmm. to hack and to do things like that. There's the side that employs the offensive side of the stick. So they use that software and they use those tools that have been either developed in-house by the Air Force or procured through other means to do what they need to do. And then there's the defensive side that keeps the bad guys out of our network. It keeps Russia, China, and makes us like a multi-layer thing. So you have to go through a million different doors to get to what actually matters instead of opening one door and you're right there. Mm -hmm. But out of those three, the I would say probably the people like developing the software are the people that are in the weeds the most. And it's probably like the closest thing to what I would have been doing while I was in undergrad in college, right? And I was just going home and doing homework and writing code all day long um, and then going and doing RTC and then coming back and writing more code. So if that's something that you want to do in cyber or in the Air Force, there's absolutely those avenues. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of work to be that good and to get picked up for those jobs because you're an operator and silly as it sounds, like you're on the keyboard, right? Like you're in the jet, you're on the keyboard doing win in the war. You're making the tools that are ultimately going to protect, defend the United States or mm-hmm. go out and win wars. Right. And then, like I said, there's the people that use those tools, both offensively and defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're doing it day to day. It's their nine to five. They show up at work, they develop code or they monitor whatever's going on or they have a cyber mission where they go explore and see how far they can get into things. And they come back and report and say like, I did this today. This is how far we've gotten. So we know we can do this next time we have to go do something real life. So with that, another question I have is how as an RGC student and if you're doing, I guess, computer stuff or computer science, what can you do? to better help yourself I guess, be at the top of the rankings at UCT so you can try to be a 17 Sierra or 17 or, or 17 Alpha if that's something you want to do? Like, what can we do in school to help us? Or is it you need to look for outside sources or do internships or something? Internships are always a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in the cyber side of the house or the Air Force, right? We get a lot of opportunities that come down and we pass them as cadre we pass them to you as cadets but those are typically you can go fly in a plane and do stuff like that there's not as many cyber or really just support type internships that we pass out so any internships you can get with like security and stuff like that whether it be like cisco or linksys or something or like a private company where they provide like network security and stuff like that would help but i think the biggest thing is just staying practiced in like techniques that you would learn in your undergrad and not just counting on the assignments and homework and labs and tests that your professors give you to get you across the line. And I'm sure it's the same in every single academic major, not just in computer science, right? The people who have a passion for what they want to be doing and the people who go out and do it on their own time are the people who are typically the best at doing it in the class and have the good grades because to them, an assignment is just one more thing that they would have been doing anyways. So like going out and finding things that challenge you whether they be like coding puzzles, like just developing apps or things like that to make yourself a little bit better mm-hmm. uh, and just make sure you're practicing those skills and developing yourself and keeping your mind open 
thinking openly is a big thing that I think engineer type minds, computer science type minds like kind of struggle with. And having an open mindset and being able to think outside the box is a big factor in being able to succeed, at least in tech school, like getting through those puzzles and stuff like that. It's something that I struggle with and not just getting through tech school. But if you do get that 17 Sierra Alpha job and you're hacking people, right, like you're going to have to figure out how to navigate through situations that people haven't been in before, that people haven't coded their way into or out of or use tools in ways that tools weren't necessarily meant to be used. So just keeping an open mindset and finding ways to exercise that muscle. Right. And going off of that, the Space Force is trying to become the first digital service. And what I mean by that, they're becoming, they're trying to become more interconnected, more innovative, and then a uh, digitally dominant force. With them trying to become the first digital for- ser- service, what would that mean for cyber officers in the U.S. Air Force, such as 17 Sierras, Alphas, or Deltas? So there's plenty of opportunities for cyber officers in the Space Force. Right. Not every single job in the Air Force is a one-to-one transfer of what you'll be doing into the Space Force, right? There's space missiles, which probably transfers pretty well. There's like contracting, which probably transfers pretty well. And there's cyberspace operations, which transfers really well. When the Space Force was stood up a couple years ago, and I was at Travis Air Force Base in California, we had, I think, seven or eight airmen out of a flight of about 50 apply, get approved, and cross into the Space Force as communications airmen, as cyber Mm. airmen. So it's a a very one-to-one correlation, I think. The Space Force mission is a little bit different than the Air Force mission. Space missiles, satellites, things like that, instead of airplanes and nukes and stuff. Mm -hmm. But cyber operations, I think, is unique to a lot of other career fields and a lot of different things in the fact that it's intertwined in almost everything that we do. Well, everything that we do. Mm -hmm. The Navy has a cyber branch. The Army, the Marine Corps does. We do. The Space Force does now, too. And I would venture to say that cyber officers across the different branches can probably have more similar problems than like other career fields across different branches would. Mm -hmm. It's a constantly changing landscape, a constantly changing terrain. But at the same time, most, if not all of the cyber officers on that side of things, not the communication side of things, probably face similar problems. And going about that, with just cybersecurity in general, and also with China Rush, I know we talked a little bit about that. Where do you see us in the next 10 years in terms of are we going to be able to surpass China and Russia? Or is, I believe China and Russia is already getting, surpassing us in certain areas, especially Russia and in terms of how they operate cyberspace-wise. So in the past, I haven't even been in the Air Force that long, right? I've been in the Air Force mm-hmm. for six, seven years now. And even in that short a time, there's been a significant change in how we talk about the way we wage war. For the past 20, 25 years, we've been scuttling in Iraq and Afghanistan in a largely one-sided war. And now we are facing threats in Russia, China, and beyond that we call Mm -hmm. uh, a great power competition or a near-peer fight are the buzzwords that we use in the DoD. And it's exactly that. It's a near-peer fight, not just on the kinetic front with boats and planes and tanks and guns, but it's a near-peer fight in the cyber domain as well. And I could act like I know what Russia and China's cyber capabilities are and how they stack up against our cyber capabilities. But if the way we manage our cyber capabilities is anything like the way Russia and China and our other near-peer threats manage their cyber capabilities... 
I guess, disguise their cyber capabilities. We have no idea what they're capable of until they do it, mm-hmm. until they pull the trigger. And I think I saw another question on your list of questions. It was like, what is the most common myth about being a cyber officer that you hear? And I think a common myth is that you can rate like our cyber capability on a scale of one to 10 or Russia or China's cyber capability on a scale of one to 10. And it happens even within our own Air Force and within senior leadership levels of our Air Force, right? Where, uh, like, I just got back from SOS, which is Squadron Officer School. Uh, and there's this big war gaming thing that you do where you employ mobility air forces and close air support air forces and combat search and rescue and satellites and cyber forces, right? And everything pretty much makes sense and works the way it should, except for cyber. And I think our leaders at the very highest level kind of misinterpret how cyber works and what is needed to make it work, Mm -hmm. right? Like I said earlier, our cyber officers are going out and they're exploring every single day. That's what their job is to do is to go get familiar, go get familiar with networks and landscapes. I can't say where, but going and doing that type of stuff, right? And these are capabilities that are developed over weeks, months, years in some cases, right? And they take some time to employ and they take some time to do. And Russia and China might know about us. We might know about a little bit of Russia and China, but I'm sure there's capabilities that they have that we don't know about, just like we have capabilities I'm sure they don't know about. Mm -hmm. And when we were playing this war game scenario and when our senior leaders talk about cyber effects, it's very much like push the button, hack the thing. We're going to do stuff now and the world is our oyster. It doesn't necessarily work like that. Mm, no. You know, I don't just hit execute, hit the enter, like pick my keyboard up like a gun and hit enter and like China shuts off. <laughs> right. It takes some time and it's people build up defenses and layers. Right. And just like it, it takes some time to break down into a castle to get past the moat, to get past the wall, to get into the middle where the king and the queen are sitting. It takes some time to get to the center of gravity in the cyber domain as well. Like mm-hmm. You have to beat down those walls and work your way through that. And as you're beating down walls, they're putting walls back up. Right. right? That's what the defensive side of our cyber shop does is put those walls up, and we hope we can put them up faster than the enemy can take them down. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they do the same thing. Of course. So where do we fall in terms of our cyber capabilities versus our near-peer threats? Mm-hmm. Probably somewhere close to there capabilities i would hope that we're better at it right i think that the training that we get is probably a little bit better than the training that people get in russia and china about that type of stuff but we don't have the sheer numbers that china has or the blatant disregard for public opinion that russia has right Mm -hmm. Uh, we're very much the face of the western world and we have to operate around that constraint Uh, so it affects how we do things and how much we can explore and what we can do Mm -hmm. so what are our capabilities? I hope we never have to find out what our capabilities are, True. right? Well, with this war, <laughs> this war going on, um, especially in Ukraine, there has been talk of Russia possibly destabilizing our cyber infrastructure within the United States to not have us get involved with what's going on. But they don't want us too involved, but just enough to where we'll back off. So hopefully we won't have to see in too big of a fall. I know a lot of people are worried about it because especially the energy companies where Russia or China, they employ, Russia does, employs cyber syndicates that prioritize in cybercrime. Yep. 
So do you think that the United States Space Force, U.S. Space Force, one of their mission onsets is to protect national interests? Do you believe that they'll have a helping hand in assisting civilian sectors if this were to happen, if Russia were to attack our, our infrastructure, which from what Putin has said, he is more than likely going to do? We're like really digging in here. Um, <laughs> So at the baseline of everything, mm-hmm. right, the Department of Defense's job is to defend this country. Right. It's not to protect the military. It's mm-hmm. what's the point of protecting the military if there's no country to protect? Right. It, and U.S. Cybercom, that's the cyber commands of the Navy, the Marine Corps, the Army, the Air Force, and the Space Force. Their job, yes, is to protect their own cyber terrain. Like mm-hmm. our job, cyber officer's job, is to make sure that planes can still take off and we can drop bombs on the enemy. Mm-hmm the navies is to make sure that boats can still go places and do stuff like that but overall the goal of the department of defense is to protect the country right and if russia is affecting critical infrastructure or china is affecting critical infrastructure i would hope that we step in and dedicate resources to defending that i hope that my peers in my career field um that have chosen a different path than i've chosen are good at their job um and are more well practiced and more recently practiced than i am and i'm sure they are and I'm sure just like we have fighter pilots itching to go blow bad guys out of the sky, mm-hmm. we have cyber officers itching to go hack into Russia and hack into China and prevent our country from falling to those near-peer threats. So I, I think they're ready to go. They're just waiting for... See what happens. Waiting for someone to say go. Um, right. Hopefully we don't get... Again, hopefully we don't get to that point. Mm-hmm. But we do have people ready, willing, and able to defend the country, whether it be in a plane, in a boat, or behind a keyboard. Um, I guess really, what are some good practices that you implemented to help you the most as a cyber operations officer, but also in tech school? I know you spoke a little bit about doing puzzles as a student, but what are some things you can do in that militaristic mindset in terms of defending base comm or hacking? Like, what are some practices you did? Like, did you take a part a computer and try to dig in and see if you can figure out what happens or Um, what you do? (laughs) It's, that's a tough question for me, right? Because when I was going through my tech school, I was still like very much pissed off that I wasn't a pilot. Mm -hmm. And so like, I didn't, I didn't do as much as I could have. And I kind of went into it thinking like, I already have a computer science degree. Like, what do I need like, what else is the Air Force going to teach me, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have a freaking $150,000 education, you know? Like, what am I going to get in six months? But working as a team, that is something that I didn't do as much as I should have. Relying on your friends and your peers that are going through tech school with you, even if you do know more than they do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, sitting down with them and teaching them stuff because you'll identify things that you missed by tutoring them. And they'll bring a different perspective than what you were already thinking, Again, like ha- having that open mindset, whether it be whatever does it for you, right? Whether it be doing cr- coding projects or like taking an internship or working on puzzles or exercising your creative freedom mm-hmm. and doing stuff like that. And just the biggest thing really is just showing up willing to work and willing to learn. I didn't, I don't want to say like I didn't show up to tech school ready to work, but I had just finished like four of the hardest years of my life when I was like working 30 hours a week and doing ROTC and doing my undergrad in a academic major that I wasn't the best at. And then I thought that my report date was going to be in like December and it got moved up to like May. So I graduated school and three weeks later I was at Keesler Air Force Base, like going to school again. Dang. So I was kind of burnt out. But whatever time you get, 
between commissioning or graduation Mm -hmm. and going back to work for the Air Force. Really, like, stay practiced and stay engaged is important, but really take that time for yourself. Okay. Use that time to take your foot off the gas and reset. Like, you should finish ROTC and finish earning your commission strong and leave a good example for your GMC cadets and your AS300 cadets behind you and make sure they know to work hard. But when you do have the opportunity to relax, whether it be like taking a vacation or just spending time with family, take your foot off the gas, give yourself some time to reset, Mm -hmm. whether it be two weeks before you have to show up to your next base or a year before you have to show up to your next base, and then show up at school or your base or whatever it might be with an open mind, ready to work with your peers and, and ready to go. If you think you need to study a half hour for something, probably study two hours or something just to make sure you're right away and good to go on that. I don't think I've ever had as much spare time as I did when I was in tech school. And in hindsight, like that was probably a bad thing. I probably should have been using some of that spare time to study and work with my peers and and get better at stuff. I'm not dissatisfied with where I ended up out of tech school by any means, by any way, shape or form. I love where I'm at in my career now and the opportunities I've gotten. But I'm sure if I would have like tried harder in my studies at tech school, I would have more opportunities than I was presented with when I first got into the Air Force. Because it wasn't until that one and a half, two year mark when I was at Edwards Air Force Base when it clicked and I started to be like, well, I should start working hard now (laughs) and start investing in people and investing in my job. And it got fun to be good at stuff and it Mm -hmm. got fun to make people good at stuff and to take pride in my work and to walk into a situation that wasn't necessarily great and walk out of it leaving it better than I walked into it. So take that mindset and that approach to yourself, right? Like walk into UCT or pilot training or Intel school or whatever you're going to with the attitude that you're going to walk out of that tech school better than you walked into it, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of thinking that you already know everything that you need to know. And just going back to what you said about working hard, if you're not happy with where you got, is there any way you can possibly change or cross train? Like, for example, if you wanted 17 Sierra, but you got 17 Delta, can you become a 17 Sierra? Or if you wanted to be, if you got 17 Sierra and you got 17 well, Bravo, so defensive, but you wanted offensive, is there opportunities to do that or are they extremely difficult? There are, there's always a way to yes, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take it back to that, right? There's always right. a way to get to yes. There's always a way to cross train and to get from point A to point B, whether it's changing career fields, mm-hmm. Whether you're a doctor and you want to go be a, I don't know, a personnelist, mm-hmm. or whether you're a 17 Delta and you want to go be a 17 Sierra, there are ways to get from point A to point B. And my best advice for you, for anyone who wants to go from point A to point B, is do the best that you can in point A and show to your boss that you're willing to put in the work and that when you get to point B, that the Air Force made a mistake and that when you they put you in point B, you're going to be an an amazing asset in that position because the Air Force does make mistakes. Like you might be better off as a 17 Sierra than a 17 Delta or vice versa. You might be better off as a logistics officer than an Intel officer. Um, and they might've just switched you in the wrong yeah. place. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of brand new lieutenants that show up in the Air Force every year and we have to find a spot for all of you mm. and you're not all going to get your first choice. Right. Mm-hmm. But people will leave the Air Force. People will join the Air Force. Like medical things will happen, career things will happen, and opportunities will present themselves to you, right? And 
you need to make sure that when those opportunities present yourself or present themselves, you have put yourself in the best position possible to pursue those opportunities, right? You don't want to be like number five of five commanders ranking in your squadron saying like, hey, this opportunity showed up. Will you put me in to cross train? Like they're not going to go out on a limb for you if you've been slacking off for two, three months. Mm-hmm. So find find the good work-life balance. Find what motivates you, whether it be pursuing a 17 Sierra slot, pursuing a cyber slot, or pursuing a pilot slot, or taking care of people, in my case. Find what motivates you and do good at it. All right. Well, Cadet Jolliker, those questions were very well thought out. So thank you for providing those. And Captain Adams, your answers, they were, I think, very beneficial and uh, very insightful. Yes. Thank you both for coming on the show. That was awesome. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. So that was it. That was a blast to record with Captain Adams. He's just so easy to talk to. And I think the conversation was super smooth. And it was a great interview. Cadet Jolker, did you have any main takeaways that you got from the conversation with Captain Adams? So a couple things we did talk about. We talked about being comfortable giving feedback up and down the chain of command. That's something that POC, even myself, have a difficulty doing. Understanding more about being a cyberspace officer, along with understanding and trying to become an effective POC and officer, Captain Adams gave a lot of valuable insight and experience on how to be a better officer, but also how to be more of human, just how to be more personable. And that's something I did enjoy. And one of my biggest takeaways was just be there for your other people, bring people up and don't focus on yourself. That's when we go back to wingman leader warrior. So. All right. And th- thank you for that. Jalker. And any other, you know, parting words that you have for the listeners who may be aspiring to go into this career field? I would say reach out to your cadre, reach out to the individuals who know a little bit more about this career field or any, really any career field and try to get the resources and ask the questions because it will make a difference in understanding what you're going to be going into. Don't go in blind. Be prepared as as much as possible as you can. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, Cadet Jalker, thank you for coming on the show. It was awesome having you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, love the energy. And again, a very big thank you to Captain Adams for offering Mm -hmm. that insight. Yes. Made for a great episode. We will see you on the next one. Thank (laughs) y'all. Oh, my God.